0: Good uh, morning, Olive Tree. Thanks, thanks for the hand and the, and the super welcome. So as uh, Sia said, we're in the middle of the series, 111 hours. And if you don't have no idea what that number represents, it's basically the time when you're not sleeping and you're not at church. Okay? And we, we really want to make those 111 hours count. So this morning, I'm going to be... Yes, please. Thanks. Um, when I get nervous, I sit. Uh, I'm going to be talking about um, our work and making those 111 hours count in our work. Now, when I say work, I don't necessarily mean exchanging your skills and your talents for an income, because not everyone does that. So work for you could be a full-time staying-at-home parent, which I think is the hardest job in the world. Um, After lockdown, I realized that. that could be you. Uh, you could be a student. A you could be at university or a scholar, a learner. You could be um, retired, or you could be a volunteer somewhere. So I don't want anyone to feel excluded when I say the word work. I want everyone to feel that there's something that you can kind of extract out of this. Um, so while preparing, I thought about my work journey, and uh, I've done some really crazy things in order to generate an income. Um, I worked at a wimpy on the bluff, Nochal. Yeah, you can imagine what stories I could tell you about that. Um, but <laughs> the memory that stands out the most, is probably the naughtiest memory. And if you thought I was great before I got up here, it's gonna go down a few notches after this story. So I'm, I'm a, although I'm from the bluff, I'm a stickler for manners. Please, thank you, very important. So I've served this bunch of guys that were super rude. They were like, give me this and give me that. In. No, please, no thank you. Nicely gave them their food with a smile. just gobbled it all up. Um, and, and, and I put up with the rudeness. I thought, I'm gonna tolerate this because I know there's a tip coming. Um, <laughs> you know, oh, evil heart! I told you, my ranking's going down. Eh? Wait, it's gonna fall off the cliff now. Um, <laughs> and then, then they asked for the bull. And I, and I brought them the bills, and now I'm like, yeah, what's my tip going to be? Uh, absolutely zero. <laughs> and I thought, oh, you guys have sat here, you've stuffed your face full of ribs, you've made a mess everywhere, now I'm mull. And now I'm. And now I'm I wasn't a believer then, so you, you can imagine. I'm still bad now, but I mean, then I was even worse. Um, and now, uh, so they're sitting there, they're carrying on, and then they call me, like, come, 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 come here, give me a finger bowl. Give me a finger bowl. You, you, give me a finger bowl. I thought, ha 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 ha. Here's some opportunity. And uh, anyone ever heard of a hydro boil? This stuff makes the hottest water I've ever seen. In fact, you put the water in the bowl, and the thing is still bubbling. So I thought, check my evil heart. Eh? I filled these finger bowls up with water with this water from this hydro boil. And now I'm giggling because I know, you know, when you do something naughty, you're giggling, you look, like, oh, so, I'm so naughty. I put it down there and I bolted, I ran away. And then like a few minutes later, I peeped around the corner and, and all of these guys had taken the wet wipes, they wrapped it around their finger and they're sitting there holding another the I thought, yes, justice. <laughs> okay, I've just fallen off the cliff. But uh, when I say work, <laughs> what comes to mind with your work? Like, do you get up in the morning and you like, you like am to go to work? You love the people you work with, you love what you do, and it's really cool. Or do you like have to peel yourself out of bed and like, oh, it's a grind, I got to go to work. Or maybe you see your work as just like a temporary measure, like I'm here just for a short while to build up my CV, and then I'm out of here. I'm going to move on to greener pastures and I'm out of here. Or perhaps you see your work as like an extraction mechanism. I want to extract as much as I can out of this company to create a security for myself. I'm going to take my rands, I'm going to buy dollars, I'm going to buy pounds, I'm going to buy euros, I'm going to buy Bitcoin or whatever because because I want to create security. So I use my work to create a security for myself. Or maybe you are stressing about your work um, you're trying to find a job, or, or maybe you're worried about AR. I mean, I was with some mates last night, and we were talking about this, what's that thing? Chat, BTC, BT, chat, what that thing. And uh, Mark was saying that this thing can do the Harvard medical exam. It's some AR thing. You punch in the Harvard questionnaire, 100%. And then I thought, yes, like my industry, because I'm in the advice business, is, is moving to robo-advice. Like, like am I still going to have a job, like in a few years' time? And, you know, you're panic station whatever. But this morning, what I want to speak about is how God sees your work, and His view on work, and then how that translates into our individual work, whatever that may be. Um, So, in order to understand our work, I think we need a biblical theology of work. And the reason why I say that is because cushy cushy coo feelings kind of fade when the tough time comes. And if we don't have a deep truth, that's gonna sustain us through the hard times, we're gonna be smacked around by every tough event that comes our way. So this morning, I'm gonna nerd out on you for a few minutes. But I do believe that as I nerd out, I'm hoping some, some deep truths and, and roots about work will come into us. So in order to understand most things, most sort of topics, oh, sorry, I'm drying up here. Oh, they say the intro is the most important. So I I'm, I'm really hope I'm doing all right. <laughs> and I haven't lost you. Um, In order to understand most things in the Bible, we need to understand the meta-narrative, the big picture. Because the Bible is not a bunch of random stories. There's a coherency about Genesis to Revelation that ties into one big picture. And that big picture can be broken down into three kind of backslash four pillars. We have creation, we have the fall, and then we have redemption or renewal. Are you with me? So how does our work tie into those pillars? So firstly, starting off with creation. Okay, I need you to get your creative juices going with me because we're gonna do a little bit of exercise soon, in 15 seconds. So when God created the world, it was perfect. There was nothing missing, there was nothing lacking. It was shalom, it was like pure bliss. It was perfect. Now, let's pretend you God, okay? You are not, but let's just pretend for about 10 seconds. You God, and you're gonna create this paradise, this perfect place. What would you put in it? And i would put good food. <laughs> I think the older I get, the more I realize what a, what a bit of a foodie I'm becoming. Absolutely, wine. We've got to have wine there. We, what about, you know what I would really create? I would create desserts that don't make you fat. Hey, anybody else? I have a sweet tooth and it like goes straight you. I mean, the other day I got told I had a dad bod. I was like, jolly devastated. I went and Googled a dad bod. <laughs> so I would create, I would have no, no dad bods in my paradise. I would, uh, I would have, what else would I have? Relationships that we never fight. There's always peace. There's perfection. Man, how's those creative juices going, eh? eh, eh it, would be, it would be bliss. And then we would create work. What? Hey? Yeah, I heard a what? Just turn to the person next to you and say, work in paradise. Work in perfection. Okay, you can stop being God now. It's a good thing we're not God. Because when God created paradise and perfection, there was work in it. I mean, this blew my mind. We read in, um, in Genesis uh, 2, 15, it says, the Lord God took the man, put it in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So surely if God put work into his perfect plan, then surely there must be more to our work than what we kind of give it credit for. You know what I mean? So, and, uh, wait, what did I really want to say? Here? There, <laughs> um, and more purpose. There's more purpose and meaning for our work if God had it in the beginning. But here's the thing, and this is the sad story, is that work, it, well, yes, it was originally God's plan to be perfect, but then sin entered the world. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and sin entered the world. They kind of said, uh, John Papa, I listened to her preach this week. He said, they, they, slapped Adam, they slapped God in the face and said, no, thank you. I'm going to do things my way. I want to be Lord of my life, and I'm going to do it my way. And what started to happen, as what so often does when we say that to God, is things started to unravel. And, we're, and, and we read that. We read, it Genesis, um, we read it in Genesis 3, where it says, so, this is, so there was perfect creation. Now we're in the fall. Okay, in Genesis 3, uh, God says to Adam, he said, because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of the fruit of which I commanded you not to eat, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face or the sweat of your brow, you shall eat bread and, and then it goes on. And, and, and what, what ended up happening was work now moved from a place of perfect work way God intended it, to hard work, kind of where we are now. <laughs> and what started to happen <clears throat> is things began to unravel. And this is kind of where we find ourselves a lot now. We have, think of your work, there's kind of politics and backstabbing and, and overlooked for promotions, and we have staff that just possibly, just, yeah. Uh, create challenges for us. <laughs> and we shouldn't be surprised when these things happen. We shouldn't be surprised with the, with the no recognition that we often have to deal with, that we are falsely accused, that we're isolated, and that we, we, we kind of ostracize, because this is all a part of the fall. This is all unraveling. God is not punishing you when you go through tough times at work. It's a part of the fall. He's not going to punish Jesus and punish you at the same time. But those things that we go through at work is a consequence of the fall. And if we understand it and expect it, it doesn't kind of T-bone us when we go through tough times. But here's the beauty of the faith, is that these tough times God uses, God uses the pain and the heartache and the suffering and and the overlooked promotion and the politics and all the stuff that we have to deal with at work to draw us to Himself, to shape something inside of us, inside of our character, to make us more Christ-like. It doesn't originate with God, but He most certainly uses those tough times in our work to shape something inside of us that cannot be shaped otherwise. But the, the, the story does not end with the fall, and this is the best part. So we had creation, we have the fall, and then we have redemption or renewal. See, God doesn't leave us in this broken, messed up state. He doesn't leave us there, but he's a redeeming God. He's a renewal God. He's a God of restoration that undoes, or begins the process of undoing everything that happened at the fall. You see, Adam and Eve chose not to trust God in the Garden of Eden. Jesus chose to trust God in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Adam and Eve said, not your will, God, but mine be done, Jesus did the opposite. Adam was 100% disobedient. He had one command not to do. 100% disobedient in the Garden of Eden. Jesus was 100% obedient in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus redeemed the work of Adam. By one, many were declared unrighteous. By the disobedience of one, by the obedience of one, we can be made righteous. Jesus undid the fall. And this is really, so, so we live in this place now. I'm nearly done nerding out on you, and then we're going to get some practice. So we live in this place where we're in this sinful, flawed, messed up world, but we know that there's redemption, there's renewal, but it's not a complete renewal. And it's not a complete restoration yet. It's almost like, and this is where like dangerous heaven on earth theologies come, that that we battle to make sense of tough times in life, because Anyway, we won't get there now, but it's almost like, like a pregnant woman, like like, like we've got this baby inside of us, we feel a little kick and a, whatever you feel, I, I, I'm imagining is what you feel, <laughs> or men can, have, oh, anyway, we're not going to go there now. Um, but the baby's not quite there yet, but you know that there's something coming, and it's like that. With, with, with restoration, with renewal, is, is we can see a glimpse of what God intends for us in the life that, he, that, 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 that we're gonna live one day to its completion, but it's not there yet. Like the baby hasn't been born yet, but we're excited about it because we, we, we have a sense of what's coming. So, so we, we, we are able to deal with the nausea and the pain and the uncomfortableness and pray for every pregnant woman in Durban now and it's not raining and it must be, but we endure through that because we know there's something awesome waiting on the other side. And that's kind of a place in which we, whoo, thanks man, I love that feedback. <laughs> so insecure. Um, <laughs> and this is where our mandate comes in as believers. is we see a glimpse of something, we see a glimpse of a hope, and we are able to take that into our workplaces. As Cia spoke so brilliantly about last week, that hot coal that goes and it touches people, and it brings this kingdom. And this is the key, guys, in a normal way, not in a weird dingbat way, in a normal way as we go about our work as believers. So, so, so what do we do? We, we change the culture of the places that God strategically puts us in. Because you, you may have a colleague going through a tough time. We don't like, oh, sis, sis how could you do that? Oh, I'll pray for you. Oh. No, we come alongside that person. And, and if they are going through, um, if they need comfort, we talk about a God who comforts. They've maybe they've lost a loved one, we talk about a God who, 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 who comforts. They're, they're perhaps going through a tough time financially. We talk about a, a God who provides. They might, be going, they might be brokenhearted. And we speak about a God who can heal your heart in a normal way, not in a... Anyway, I'm not going to go down that route. You can see I'm a practical oak. And Jesus was practical and he was... Anyway... Okay, sorry, I'm really going off my notes here. This is why I need notes. And we show the love of God to people. We don't treat people as projects. Man, no one wants to be a project. But God uses you. Touch, Little, I'm a little hot cold. I'm gonna touch you here. I'm gonna touch you there. I'm gonna touch you there. And you know here's the thing. Do you know what? Often we don't see the results. We read, we read in uh, 1 Corinthians 3 verse six. This is Paul speaking here. He says, I planted the seed in your heart. Apollos watered, but God causes the growth you might have no idea of the impact. In fact, I can tell you now, you pretty much, there's a high probability, you're never gonna see the impact that you're having on people's lives. And I think God does that on purpose because if it was me, I'd be all puffed up and I'd think I'm the man, look at me. So I think to protect us, God doesn't show us the impact that we're gonna have on people's lives. But you know what? I wanna water, I wanna water, I wanna water, I wanna water, and maybe I'll have a harvest. And woo-hoo-hoo-hoo, maybe I'll have a harvest. You just think... I mean, how many times have we heard stories of, of I've been working on this guy at work for 20 years. He goes to coffee with some amazing person, Bevan. And, and suddenly Bevan shares the gospel with him. This guy gets, crosses the line of faith. And Bevan's the hero. But there's, no, he's not really. He's a great guy. But, but you don't know what you're gonna be. We've gotta be so content, whether we are planters or harvesters or whatever, but God causes the growth. But he's gonna use us. I mean, I think, I remember almost every single person who shared the gospel with me. Not one of them know that I crossed the line of faith, but they had an, they sowed a seed. Guys, sow the seed. Okay, done. Am I nearly done? Yes, I'm done nerding out on you. Okay, let's talk practically. <laughs> okay, let's talk practically. How can we practically implement this in our workplace? Colossians three, twenty three says, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. Sorry, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive an inheritance as your word, as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Some versions say, whatever you do, work for the Lord with all your heart because you know that there is an inheritance coming on the other side. You see, when... Hmm. your feels like I'm talking a lot. Well, I'm on stage, I have to talk. Um, when... When we become believers, our work no longer becomes about me. It no longer, why? It doesn't become about me because I'm working for the Lord. I'm working for Him. It's not about my promotion, my career development, my advancements, what I can extract out of this company, how can I secure myself if I want to secure myself. No, I'm part of a bigger picture, I'm part of a bigger purpose. I'm part of God's plan, part of His plan and His purpose. And I begin to see my work as a platform that God can use for the extension of His kingdom. And we become agents of hope. And you know what begins to happen? as I begin to live for His glory and not mine. And you know what? Even if a robot takes my job, I know if work is the platform, God will provide another job. And He will provide another means because His kingdom is so much bigger than this kingdom. And you know what, even if I'm not a millionaire or billionaire or whatever you wanna be that you think is gonna bring you security, I know that if I'm working for the Lord, there's an inheritance on the other side that does not fade, that does not perish, that cannot be taken away from me and it's so much bigger than that. And I will persevere and I will press through because I'm working for the Lord. And that, my friends, brings ultimate security to your soul. Is God against promotion? Is God against doing, no, not at all. Not, but I promise you, if that is what you are living for, it's gonna grind against your soul because you will never, ever feel secure and satisfied unless we live for something greater, something that's gonna last into eternity. Can I share a depressing stat with you just on this beautiful Sunday morning? They say, whoever they are, I'd love to meet them one day, but they say, in three or four generations' time, you will be completely forgotten, completely forgotten. This is why rich people wanna build hospitals and uh, have roads named after them and cities named after them and universities named after them because there's something inside of us that wants to live and make our lives count for more than just the here and now. Think about your grandparents. So think about your parents. Okay, so I've got obviously memories of my parents, my grandparents, yeah? My great grandparents, I knew very, one or two little memories of one of three of them. So I'm on the third generation. I haven't even, I don't even know who the fourth is. What about your family? Can you go further than that? Guys, the reason why I share that is what are we living for? Are we living and working for a kingdom which in three or four generations is gonna be completely forgotten? Or do you wanna invest in an eternal kingdom that is never gonna fade away, that is gonna last forever? Yes! (laughs) Yes! <laughs> so, let's get into some nitty-gritty and see what work did Jesus do and what can we learn from that? Have you ever thought about this? What did Jesus come as? Did he come as a philosopher? I've got all the answers for off. Look at me. I'm here. Just make space. Here I come. Yeah. Or, or this like guru that, that, you know, like some guys, they have these poles on their shoulders and, and they sit on chairs and they kind of like everyone must clear the way because here they come. or, uh, or Actually, I love World War II. I've been, I watch a lot of World War II documentaries and, and I look at those parades in Germany where Hitler would come and there were like millions of people lined up and there were like these passages and like Hitler came walking like I'm the man and then he worked upstairs and stood on his platform and, la 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 and shouted like he did. How did Jesus come? None of that. He came, he left a throne of endless glory where he was praised, where he was worshiped, where angels adored him, where they sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. He left that and he was born in a manger. Now, I think we've kind of romanticized what a manger is. You know what a manger is? It's a feeding trough. It's a thing that animals ate out of. It's like the king of the universe leaving his throne to be born in a dog's bowl, if we have to just put it in today's context. And you know why he did that? He did that because there is no low that you can go that he cannot redeem. There is no sin of yours that is so low that he cannot redeem. So he came to the lowest of low. He was born in the lowest possible place so that his hand could stretch down to the lowest possible place and redeem you. Whatever it is that you think is unforgivable and uh, he can redeem and he can forgive and I'm totally off my notes. Um, And how did he grow up? He grew up as a carpenter, as a laborer, working with his hands. Now, let's get those creative juices going again. Imagine the humanity of Jesus. I can just imagine him working in the workshop there, uh, sweating, excuse me, maybe calluses on his hands, maybe like while he's working on the chair, got a splinter, can Imagine Joseph, he's in the front there on the counter, and he says, Jesus, we got a new order. The the, the baker, he needs a new chopping board. Jesus chopping board, I'm working for my father. I'm working for my father. Let me make this chopping board, make this chopping board. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, what can we learn from this? What can we learn from the fact that Jesus came as a despised labourer at the time? It wasn't glamorous, guys. Me and Carpenter was not glamorous at the time. The philosophers and the, the oaks that came up with all the other funny stuff, the, the, that, that was glamorous, but Jesus chose not to come as that. See, there's many things we can learn for that. I've only got time for two. The first thing that Jesus... Coming as a laborer, what it does is it gives dignity to all work. Every single work. If you are working for the Lord, has dignity. There is nothing that that can be, if you are working, obviously if there's like sin and human trafficking and all that stuff, I'm I'm just talking about work. Normal, good, honest work has dignity. Tim Keller says that the cleaner who is, Created in the image of God, who is precious to God, who who is just as important as the CEO because without the cleaner, the CEO would die of hygiene, infection, disease. Can you see how when we're working for the Lord, everything is all tied together and we have no idea of the impact that we are making. And here's the thing, it gives dignity to the person performing the job, but it also If we are not laborers, there's also an onus on us to treat laborers with dignity, with meaning, because they could be working for the Lord. Who are we to look down on other people and the job that they do? I know some, I mean, I read a lot of biographies. I can't remember where I read this. It was either Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or one of these big numzans in the finance world. Whenever they would employ someone, they would meet them in a restaurant and do lunch with them because they would watch and they would see how does this person treat the person serving them? because that's normally an indication of the character. How much more, if we see that person as doing God's work, how much more should we treat them with dignity and respect and with honor because they are working for the Lord. So it works both ways. If you are working in that job and if you're not working in that job, treat people with dignity because Jesus came as a laborer. My goodness, he could have come as anything else, but he chose to come as a laborer and work with his hands. The second thing, Sorry, I just want to make sure I haven't left anything out. Um, The second thing, Jesus coming as a laborer, and I want to really nail this hard, is is Jesus coming as a carpenter removes the barrier and it shatters the divide between God's work and so-called secular work. So we have those who are called, like my good man Seer here, he's called. And then we have the plebs like me who are not called. And we just sit around kind of waiting for our call-up papers, what do I do, I'm not in full-time ministry, Uh, can God use me? No, rubbish, demonic from the devil. The full-time calling is just as important as the non-full-time calling, if you wanna call it that. There's no difference in the calling, guys. God uses the pastors, excuse me, the doctors, the lawyers, the dentists, the engineers, the computer designers, the everything, all important because He uses it for his kingdom. There is no, every single one of us, the Bible says, if um, those he called, he also justified, just for, yeah, or whatever, all the rest of you read in Romans, but if you are a believer in Jesus, you are called. You can't say, oh, oh I'm waiting for my calling. I'm waiting for my calling. No doubt, da- sorry, I nearly swore. <laughs> oh, I could have said worse words than that. Uh, <laughs> you called, you called. You are called because you believe in Jesus and he wants to use you. You know, I used to be part of a really incredible church movement. And these guys were amazing. They shaped me. They put stuff inside of me. I'm very grateful for them. They planted many churches. So I'm not speaking badly of them. But there was this sort of inference, this underlying non-said thing that if you're not planting a church or if you're not in a full-time ministry role, second grade, Poop, poop, whatever, whatever. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but whatever. But, but, and, and it was never said, but it was implied, or maybe it was my Dorf interpretation. That's how I felt. Um, and, um, and I knew, well, that's me. I'm pretty much out because there's no ways I'm going to be a pastor and there's no ways I'm going to plant a church. So I'll, I better just wait for my kind of, sort of my thumbs and wait for my call-up papers. But then fortunately, as I grew as a believer, I realized, no, 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 no. Every single one of us are called. We're called to something bigger. So practically, how am doing for time. Nearly done. How? How can we practically apply this to our jobs as we leave here? Now that sounds all nice and cushy, but let's talk some some like practical stuff. Some guidelines. Actually, <laughs> I'm going to sound like I'm going to contradict myself here. We could go through ten steps to bloody bloody blah, 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 but I promise you, in two months' time, you probably would have forgotten all of them. So I want to talk about two big big topics here. The starting points. If you want to practically implement this in your life. The starting point is to realize that our work is part of a greater story, much, 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 greater than my little Shane Smallville here. It's part of God's big, big, big picture, big, big, excuse me, big story. And you know what starts to happen? As the practical stuff automatically starts to come, when I realize, man, I'm working for the Lord. There are a few practical things that we can talk about, but when I realize, man, I'm part of a bigger calling... Oh, something inside of us comes alive, man. You see, here's the thing, is when we become believers in Jesus, our lives are no longer our own. It's The Bible talks about a cost being paid. And let's see if an example. If I have to go buy this thing here, what is this M, what is the keyboard thing here? I go to, where do you buy these from? Yeah, music man, whatever, Pedro. Um, I wanna... I go buy this thing. You know, Pedro, Pedro the music man, anyone remember that? So uh, I go buy this thing here, okay. I give Pedro my money, how much, uh, like 10,000. Give him my 10,000. He gives me the keyboard, cool. The keyboard's mine now. I've paid the cost, right? I've paid the cost. I can take my keyboard home and I can use it as a doorstop. (laughs) Or I can use it as a table. (laughs) Eat on it, it won't be very stable. I can use it as an ornament. I can use it as an ornament because I've paid the cost, remember? This thing is mine now. I can do what I want with this. If I wanna use it as a doorstop, I can. How much more? Or, before I get to the thing, or I can use this keyboard to create a beautiful symphony for what it was created for. And it can be a beautiful expression of the glory that is inside of it. How much more? the cost that Jesus paid for you. And when you come to him and you say, Lord, my life is yours. Use it for your glory. Use it for your kingdom. How much more? Okay, so some practical stuff and then we're done. Mm, love Tim Keller, my man crush. Someone asked him, I wanna glorify God in my job. I I wanna extend his kingdom, I wanna please him, I wanna glorify him, and I'm a pilot. How do I do that? So he just smiled. And then he said, okay, you wanna do all those things? Do this one thing really well, land the plane. Land the plane. Because as we do that, that glorifies God. As we do our jobs to the best of our ability, that glorifies God. We don't have to go on the AV thing and whatever, I'm about to land the plane, guy. I'm a Christian pilot, no, no, no. Just land the jolly plane and do your job well. Why? because it's part of a bigger calling. It's part of a bigger purpose. And you know what, as we do that, I'm telling you now, it gives you credibility to talk about the kingdom. When you do your job well, as though you are working for the Lord, and the time comes to share the kingdom, people are gonna listen to you, because you've got the credibility now. You don't duck and dive, and I'm um, like this bumper sticker Christianity where i got, and, and please, if you've got stickers on your car, I used to have them, and no judgment whatsoever. But but in a bumper sticker Christianity where we've got all the stickers, but man, our jobs and our work and what we do is not, you can finish the sentence. Um, be the best you can be. Why? Because you are working for the Lord. But here's the thing. Guys, we are broken, we are flawed, we are messed up we're gonna make mistakes. Well, I I make mistakes. I mean, (laughs) even on Friday, I said some just stupid comment to one of my colleagues. And I went to him and I said, James, man, that comment was out of line and I'm sorry. You see, I'm not advocating perfection here in your jobs because it doesn't exist. But what I am saying is when we mess up and when we make mistakes, that is an opportunity to bring God's kingdom. So I went to him and I said, this does not line up with what I believe and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, and i ask for your forgiveness. And I'm not the hero in the story. Follow me around for a week, you'll realize I'm no hero. But, but what I'm saying is we can do our jobs well, but even when we drop the ball, also an opportunity for the kingdom. Because you know why? Because we can, we can demonstrate what we celebrate. If we celebrate reconciliation here with our God, we should be demonstrating it with those that we come into contact with. What an opportunity to share the kingdom, we demonstrate what we celebrate. Lastly, John Ortberg speaks about this kind of thinking that we can so, fall, so easily fall into as believers. It's, I wanna meet the minimum entrance requirements to get into heaven, hey, I'm gonna say a prayer, I'm gonna say that sinner's prayer and then maybe I'll pop into church on a Sunday, but hey, I'm okay, my sins are forgiven, I've met the minimum entrance requirements to get into heaven. Yeah, you like that, <laughs> eh? Hey? Lars. Lars, Lars. you know why? Because God has got so much more for you than minimum entrance requirements to get into heaven. Your, God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. Your life has meaning. Man, you were created before the foundation of the world. When God was creating everything perfect, he saw Ruth, wrote down Ruth's name, he saw Da, Alice, Sandra. He saw, who else at the back? Inga, Mark, Candace, Bevan. Oh, sorry, I'm fairly new to the church. So I don't know, everyone's there. Mark, it's all Mark. Because he, he's got a plan for you. John, Kate, he, he wrote it into creation. God, so much more, so much more. God wants to use you to bring about his kingdom, both inside of you to make you more Christ-like and to the places in which you find yourself. Amen. Amen. Sia, do you want to say anything? Done. Cool. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <clears throat> 33. Cool. Please join us for coffee. Please don't run, rush off. Be that coal that Sia spoke about. Go touch someone new. Go ignite something inside of them and have a great week.